When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Gav Buckland who chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as ever with the Blues, there are many talking points, but the big one, of course, isn't injuries, isn't even a transfer really, because I think the big talking point is a quite remarkable point at Stamford Bridge against all the odds, against all expectations, and against, I think, what many of us, if not all of us here and those of us listening, expected given the problems Everton have and had headed into that game uh, on Thursday. So that's where we'll start. Preno, hand on heart, obviously, and I'm sure most people will will be nodding in agreement. I was fearful of a drubbing, so much so that before kickoff, I double-checked with Gav as to our heavy... <laughs> As to our heaviest ever defeat against Chelsea, um, what were you, what were you thinking when you saw the team? Wow, did we do, did we do predictions for this game? I don't think we did because I'm sure I would have gone for a battling draw. Um, <laughs> no, no in, in truth, I mean, uh, I try and do a bit of damage limitation when it comes to a game like this. Uh, whereas all the money in my uh, in my betting accounts, I think, oh well, if we're going to get beat, I may as well make some money from it. So the Derby match for argument's sake, I thought, right, throw it all on Liverpool. At least that, that way if they win, I'm, I'm making financial gain out of it. But it got to half-time and it was 2-1 and we were doing all right. And so I cashed out, I bottled it. <laughs> and so I won some money, but not that much. So last night, I thought, me pot, should I throw it all on Chelsea? And I don't know why I didn't. When I saw the team, you know, I should have done really, shouldn't I? But I don't know, just something made me not do it. So I didn't do it. And as the game's going on, and the price was ridiculous. It was like four to one on, or six to one on Chelsea way before the game started. And it went down to four to one on, and then three to one on, and two to one on. And I'm thinking, wow, it's suddenly actually, you know, so worth putting money on Chelsea to win this game now. And then in the event, you know, so when they scored, it was too late. I hadn't done it by then. But you, there was something weird about it last night. You just always thought there was a possibility we could guess something. Chelsea were finishing so badly after that first 20 minutes, you know, so when they, they should have taken the lead and they didn't. They didn't really threaten. There wasn't like this absolute cavalry charge of, you know, sort of pressure. So you got the impression that, you know, it was organised. You know, so the manager had the team doing what he wanted. And is that because there were so many kids there? You know, so were the kids actually following, you know, sort of his, his regimented rules, you know, sort of to the absolute letter, uh, you know, maybe more so than maybe, you know, sort of um, more experienced players wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit too simplistic thinking about it that way. I don't know. Just you always thought as the game went on, there was a possibility you could get something. And even when it was one all, let's face it, there were opportunities where we could have pinched another one as well. <laughs> Maybe won the game. So long-winded answer, hand on heart. Yeah, I thought we were going to get battered, but you know, we didn't. We didn't. We turned it round, and it was. It was. It was. It was nearly as enjoyable as the Arsenal game. It really was. And my heart was like pounding through my chest that last five minutes because it would have been so cruel. And so horrible to have lost the game in those circumstances. 
And it was like it seemed like everything had conspired against us in the build-up series. Even the Leicester game being postponed, you're thinking, wow, that gives them three more days to prepare for the game on Sunday. Yet our game goes ahead. Yet it didn't. It suddenly turned out right. Could it be a turning point? Who knows? You know, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But simple answer is, yeah, I thought we were going to get battered, but we didn't. And uh, so in the end, lots and lots of positives that I'm sure we can explore over the next like 45 minutes or so. Yeah, no, I think I think most people would subscribe to the idea, maybe perhaps that the younger players who came in, maybe maybe perhaps a little bit more uh, malleable and maybe a little bit more yeah. um, uh, re- 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 sort of re- t- willing to take on board what Rafa was saying. Although you look at the way Jared Branthwaite plays, and I don't yeah. think he plays to so anybody's tune other than himself. Yeah. That boy yeah, just I, plays. I, I looked at his comments afterwards where he talked about the goal. And he said, well, yeah, yeah, we worked on it in, in training yesterday. So he knew yesterday he was playing. And so, you know, I've got a couple in training, you know, so that was on the television interview afterwards that you may not have heard. And he said that, you know, so I peeled off on the back post. And, you know, so so clearly, you know, these things have been worked upon, you know, so in advance. But yeah, he's, uh, I mean, no doubt Gavin will tell you about a, a young Terry Butcher in a minute. But, uh, but he did, he, he, he looked, he looked once again like a proper player, as he did when we got that glimpse of him at the tail end of the season before last. Go on then, Gav. He set it up for you. Teddy Butcher, English football legends, made his debut as Prenner. Well, knows at Goodison Park. So, was the final? Was it? Yeah. Uh, that was the game when Bob got his uh, penalty, first penalty of his career. When it was oh, about thirty. Yeah. And uh, when I saw, I think I said last year when Brantley played at the end of the um, lose sack of seasons, don't miss the mm. moment. Nineteen twenty. Was it um, that he might be very much of the young Terry Butcher in both his build and the way he runs and gets around the pitch? As people pointed out on social media, he's probably a little bit quicker than Terry Butcher, but mm. Terry was uh, Terry was okay when he was nineteen. Yeah, it might be very much of him. Even physically looks like him, but um, yeah, I thought he was excellent. I, never mind Butcher; it was a Derek Manfield esque finish in the six yard box. I thought Brano uh, yeah. from the free kick. That could have been Kevin Sheedy putting one in and Manfield finishing it. I thought Brandfate was excellent last night. Yeah. As I said, you know what? If you've got a left eye, left, said this at me a number of times. I think Adji may have mentioned this in passing in one of your pieces. If you've got a left footed defender, centre half, doesn't half make a difference. Yeah. Doesn't half make a difference the way the, well, t- way the team sets up and the way it defends, well, may well, get the ball out. Yeah, well, Gav, on, on that, Adam and I, when we were walking out of Stamford Bridge last night, we, we were talking about that left-hand side, and, and, you, and you go, Branthwaite, ahead of him, Godfrey, and ahead of him, Gordon. And there was no better combination on the pitch in that respect. And you looked at that side, that side of the pitch last night, and I know that early, some early teething yeah. problems, you know, they got in early on, but once they got settled, they just looked physically quick, strong, he had no real concerns, and I know the goal came that side. But that's you know we're on the counter attack and stuff. Yeah. But I just thought that, that that those as a trio look potentially like they could have something together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's not as you said, didn't you, about Palestine? You felt that Keane was concentrating too much on Godfrey, yeah. and maybe a little bit concerned. You never got that impression last night, did you? That it was after the first ten minutes when Reese James got in a couple of times. Um, you're wondering, but I think, yeah, we were, Godfrey got forward a couple of times, didn't he? A pace. I mean, Brandweight was unlucky because he burst out, didn't he? Got clattered, was it? Um, was it Georgie? I can't remember who got, got a book in. Um, 
And yeah, yeah, and said Anthony Gordon was excellent, but I think the difference last night is going picking up on your point, Phil. I've criticised him this year or commented this season that he he's physically not being strong enough. And I thought last night, I don't know whether he's been hammering in the gym or doing the weights. He looked physically a little bit more um, impressive and 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 was challenging for the ball far more than what he had done, you know, previously this season. Still a work in progress, but yeah, that that left hand side was 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 uh, excellent against a very you know very strong Chelsea right hand side. So yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was good there. Uh, great point, wasn't it? really in the circumstances. Mm, absolutely. Ad, we worked out, didn't we, that um, of the outfield players listed on Everton's website as first-team players, Rafa had 45% of his players unavailable <laughs> for, di- for different reasons. I mean, given that and given that, you know, there was players who, who we thought were going to be fit, weren't fit, COVID has clearly hit late on, people like Damari Gray, who was on the bus, he arrived at Houston, didn't he, with the players on Thursday morning? He couldn't play. All things considered, I mean, you know, some point really. And I know Chelsea have got players out, but we all know how strong their squad is. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like you, We were talking to a few of the Chelsea lads uh, before the game, weren't we? And they were moaning about how COVID has affected their squad. And you look at some of the players that they were, they were still putting out onto the pitch. You know, they just world-class talent all over the pitch for them. They, it's not as if they had to resort to putting some youngsters on the bench or, well, they did name two goalkeepers, but they could essentially still name more substitutes than us. We could only name seven subs and two of them were goalkeepers. So that, uh, like that that was just how threadbare the squad was. And as you say, it was it was one of those starting lineups where you'd look at it and then 10 minutes later you'd realise, oh my God, where's where's Damani Gray? Oh my God, where's Fabian Delph, for example? Like you just you just... Like another player that, that was missing, you just you just instantly remember. But yeah, all credit to to everybody involved. I think they really, really did pull together. It was a proper backs against the wall sort of thing, wasn't it? You know, the lads have mentioned first twenty minutes, Chelsea weren't on top, and you know they probably could have been three or four nil up in those first twenty minutes if they'd have had their shooting boots on, or if Jordan Pickford was having a bit of an off day. But none of those things happened, and as you quite rightly said, I think Everton grew into the game more in a sort of organisational sense, especially down that left-hand side. I think they started to close the channel a little bit more. Uh, in the second half, uh, well, we were talking in the first half that Mason Holgate maybe struggled a little bit in terms of his one-on-one defender, and I think he really improved in that sense in the second half, and Chelsea were getting a lot less joy there. So uh, the, I think the players just essentially built, built in confidence all throughout the game, and I, I really do think that the fans probably played a huge part in that. You know, the, the away support was there right from the start. And, you know, it's very, it's very easy, especially, you know, in a after making a long trip down to London on a Thursday night with no prospect of getting a train back. So you're either getting a coach back, driving back, or you're, or you're staying in London for the night. So it could have been a bit of a demoralised sort of atmosphere in that away end, especially the considering the form that Everton were in, and especially considering the start that Everton had made to the game as well, you know, in, the, in those first 20 minutes. But there was just no sign of that at all. The Everton fans... We're constantly out singing the home end, and I, 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 I really do have a feeling that that must have galvanised a lot of the players on the pitch, especially those sorts of younger players. You know, you like to see your Branthwaite's, your Gordons, people like that. They they would have just surely been given that extra sort of energy and impetus to go and 
impress those supporters a little bit more and give them supporters something back. And, you know, thankfully they were able to do that in the second half, really battled their way to a point. And as Preno says, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit later on, but, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, it could, have, it could have actually been a little bit more as well if the if right decisions have been made in certain occasions as well. Mm. No, you, you're certainly right about the sports because the signs before kickoff, literally and obviously metaphorically, you know, given that there's a couple of banners that we saw, that left you concerned that, that if this had gone badly, it really could have got like quite horrible, you know, for the for the supporters, and they would have obviously voiced their their uh, their unhappiness. But as you say, they they really were behind the team and and out singing the home fans a lot of the time. It really they really played their part. And I know people say that, and it's not some sort of, sort of gl- like glib offhand comment. I genuinely believe, as you said, that was a significant um, factor in in how well Everton played. Um, Preno, we've 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 talked about some of the you know people who, who played ever so well. I mean, who was your pick really from? You know, there's quite a few players to pick from. Who's your pick of the? Oh, uh, the no pun intended there either. You, you said the word pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will tell you through my pick in a minute. But first of all, I'd just like to reinforce again what Adam said there about the supporters. I've been banging this drum for so long about um, the other shower across the park, and you know, so how. Part of Jurgen Klopp's man management, you know, genius was to get the supporters back on board again. And I know we all mocked about him, like so marching the air players up to the cop after the West Brom draw, but it was all designed to try and bring everybody together. And it's a powerful force when you've got the fans and you've got the players all together. It makes such a difference. And, you know, I know me and Gav get accused of, you know, so maybe a bit, you know, so retrospective thinking sometimes on these pods. But, you know, Going back in history, you know, the dressing room doors at Stoke, you know, so the, the Bayern Munich message at half-time, it does, it makes a difference. And so you notice the social media posts today, and it was the young kids, Jarrett Branthwaite, Lewis Dobbin, who were tweeting about the supporters last night. They're going down there and they're thinking, wow, you know, this is this must be something, this must happen all the time. It doesn't happen all the time, you know, as you two guys noticed at Selhurst Park. You know, it was a it was a horrible atmosphere. And I know it's the old chicken and egg thing, you know, what comes first? Should the players be inspiring the supporters? Should the supporters inspire the players? It's both. You've got to do both. And the fans got behind the team last night from the off. So absolutely massive respect to the people that went down there because, you know, it's a long journey on a Thursday night um, when you can't get a train back till God knows what time. You know, it's expensive. And you've got a gang of kids playing and you genuinely think you probably could get a good hide. And they didn't. They got behind the team. So total fair play to them. And the players responded. So that can be a very, very, very powerful force. And it was last night. Now, to go to the, uh, you know, so the, the question that you asked me about the uh, the performer on the night, this is a guy that didn't need, you know, sort of respond to fans. And quite the opposite, in fact, he needs to switch off from fans and he needs to start being more dispassionate and more calculating. And he was, again last night, Jordan Pickford. He mentioned it in the television commentary, I think it was Glenn Hoddle, talking about how you see him in the tunnel and you know he's bouncing up and down and he's on edge and he's he's going to get involved. And whether it's the work of the psychologist that he's been doing with you know, over the last 12, 18 months, but he does seem like a different character altogether. And he does seem to be more calculating and more composed on occasions. Um, there was a, a cross towards the end, like sort of 10 minutes you know, before the end, where he thought that oh, we could come from that, you know, but, you know, if he was more agitated, he probably would have come and tried to claim it, but he didn't need to, and he didn't. He just stepped back, hit the ball drift out of play, and you think, great, that's wasted another minute or so. And so his shot stopping was great. I mean, I mean, I'll let Gab talk about the, uh, the save from Silva's header, because he likened it to one of the most famous saves in uh, in <laughs> I wouldn't disagree. 
Um, and so it's all around performance outstanding. Michael Keane was great, absolutely great at centre-half. But Jordan Pickford, for me, was absolutely immaculate throughout. And he has been for quite some time. I tweeted this after the game last night, and the majority of people agreed. But a couple were saying, now behave yourself. You know, he cost us three goals in the derby. He didn't. He might have done better with the Mo Salah shot. Might have done better. That was all. He didn't cost us three goals. He's been absolutely excellent for a long time now. And uh, he's responding you know, so to the challenge he's getting from Aaron Ramsdale and people like that, you know, so for his, you know, England goalkeeper's jersey. But absolutely top class last night. He did everything you want a goalkeeper to do. His decision-making was perfect and his his demeanour was perfect as well. So I thought Jordan Pickford was top class. So go on, Gav, I've set another one up for you. No, no I, well, it was somebody else said it was Paul McParland, wasn't it? It was the right stuff in Everton. He said it, and I, I agree that there was, there was a Banks Palais feel to that save, wasn't it, in terms of getting down to your right? Um, feel for it, and I, I, I agree with Plan. I thought, thought he was immaculate, wasn't he? Pickford, I like to think he was listening to the pod on Monday when we were talking about him being potential captaincy material as well. By the way, maybe that's uh, that's given greater incentives to, to show him far more maturity, but he was, he, he was superb, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, he looks like a proper leader on the pitch at the moment, which is something that we need desperately. As we spoke about on Monday, and he, he would certainly get my Man of the Match award as well with, with shout outs for Brantwaite and, and, and Gordon. Um, Gordon, the field, this is probably a weird psychological point, but I think as every game this season, has he been our youngest player? I think he, he was until, has, hasn't he? Until, until last night, he was, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm. Just wondering, Verda said before that. When you stop being the youngest player in the team, your mindset changes a little bit. Mm. Um, you've got, you know, that you're a little bit more confident. Um, you need. It's a bit like I always remember being this. I was thinking about this analogy this morning. It sounds daft, but it probably resonates a little bit. When I went into senior school, your first year, absolutely, you know, you bottom of the pile on your right, right? You know, it's like everything's massive. When you, when you get into second year, you're still young within the school, but actually there's people younger than you and you just feel like a lot more at home and self-confident, you know? And I remember like it being said about players when you enter, the, you know, that type of thinking. You're no longer the youngest, so you've got to get a little bit more confidence as a consequence and that sort of came across to me last night with Anthony, uh, to be fair. Um, and I tell you what, you uh, you spoke about Brantway, but that was a crack, and that was the best set piece we've had all season, wasn't it? Set piece delivery. Yeah, that's absolutely. not been spoken not been spoken about enough. Uh, that that was uh, CDS, wasn't it? Really, it was a brilliant set. Uh, also, quick shout out by the way, somebody regularly gets pilloried, John Joe Kenny. So I thought John Joe had a decent game last night as well. Mm. You know, no, he did. No, he did. You know, we we, we spoke about that. Didn't we? <laughs> I was waiting for the tube, you know, saying the, the sort of, you know, not wishing to, to sort of sort of pour water on, on, on Kenny's evening. But ultimately, that could that may well be his last ever performance for Everton, because if things happen in January, he may be he may be allowed to leave. But if that's the way he's going to go out, then he may have gone out with one of the best performances put in for the club. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, 
and obviously you could, and you could see what it meant to him at the end because he was really he was at the forefront of those celebrations and and what have you said well yeah well played John Joe and uh, just going back to what Preno said there about the fans as well and of course there was the added complication of, of around lunchtime on Thursday when when many supporters will have started their journeys down there was some confusion about whether the game was going to go ahead anyway <laughs> you know yeah. so but but Adam that was a performance that you know um, Preno was talking about the chicken and egg thing about. You know, what comes first, the support or the performance or the performance in the support. But I don't think we ever go into a game where the Evertonians don't, you know, cheer the team on and don't kick off behind the players. But that was a performance that in the current situation of accepting that the squad's got limitations in quality and the, the squad is decimated by injury, that was the sort of performance that everybody can buy into because it was just... Right, we haven't got our best players in inverted commas, but collectively, we're going to come together and make life incredibly difficult for Chelsea and have a go at them. Yeah, I said that was it, wasn't it? Like we were, we were dogged, we were determined. I think, you know, everybody could see looking at the two team sheets before the start of the game that realistically Everton were far, far behind Chelsea in terms of quality. It's just sheer quality on the pitch. Let's be honest. A few months ago, Chelsea were winning the Champions League, weren't they? So. This is a this is an insanely talented squad of players that Chelsea have got, and even with their you know absences up front, you know Werner, Lukaku, Havertz all being out up front, I think he ended up with Sol Niguez up front for the for the final portion of the game, didn't he? But even besides that, they they should have won that game fairly comfortably, really, with the uh, with the amount of quality that they had on the pitch. But to say, but apart from that first twenty minutes, you know Everton really dug in and they really fought back you could tell you could tell especially like i remember pointing out to you at half time towards the end of the first half everton did have a couple of breaks which came from decore and gomez both going on runs from deep you know 40 30 yard runs where they were shrugging off challenges dancing around a couple of people and just burst them forwards and putting chelsea on the back foot and i think that maybe set the tone for what everton were then going to go on and do in the second half and that's the kind of football that Evertonians can get behind because it was the problem that we had against Crystal Palace. We get, we gave them far too much respect. We stood off them when they had the ball, and we, yeah, we were to, we were trying to sit in and play on the counter attack. But there's a there's a right and a wrong way of being able to do that. When you're playing on the counter attack, you can still be aggressive, you can still be proactive, you can still be energetic when you're out of possession. And there just wasn't any sign of that at, at Crystal Palace, but there certainly was in this game. You know, th- there was. I don't. I can't really remember any portions apart from when Chelsea had the ball in their own half, for example. But I can't really imagine it, remember any times when Chelsea had the ball inside the Everton half and they weren't relentlessly being chased down by an Everton player, or there wasn't somebody closing them down. And that's that's the kind of thing that supporters can get behind. You know, a, bit, a few rough rough tackles, a few fouls given away here and there. Something something that fans can actually get behind and support, isn't it? And sometimes when you have got that sort of sort of gap in quality, should we say, between the two sides. Sometimes that's the kind of stuff that you need to hone in on and really use to your advantage. That's not the kind of game that Chelsea wanted to be drawn into yesterday. We dragged them into a position that they didn't want to play in, but we knew that we could get opportunities of our own and we could we could inspire the supporters with it. So at the end of the day, you, you've got to say it was it was the perfect game plan for Everton to go into that game with. And you know, as I, as I did mention a little bit earlier, it could have been even better if circumstances had been different. Absolutely, Preno. We'd obviously gone into the into the new week 
with the kind of the the uh, hangover of the Palace performance, um, and obviously within the Palace performance, there was the um, uh, the, the, the seemingly act on well seemingly sort of mutinous act of Richarlison you know throwing his arms up in the air you know knowing that he was injured but not helping his manager um by acting as he did but but quite clean and of course that's been cleared up since but quite clearly that was a performance from the players which again despite the pressure the manager finds himself under on a constant basis that was a performance and an, and an effort and an attitude level that says the players are behind the manager. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's been no suggestion that they aren't. Um, I know we've had, you know, the Luca Dean, you know, so row, you know, so players argue with their manager all the time. And, uh, you know, so whether that proves to be terminal to his, you know, so sort of Everson career, well, we've spoken about that previously. Richarlison was just immaturity and petulance, the kind of stuff that we see from him on <laughs> a weekly basis. You know, he's a, he's a very demonstrative individual. And he desperately wants to be involved all the time, even when he's got a torn calf muscle, <laughs> which is like just just bizarre behaviour, really. But that, that's the nature of the beast. But there's never been a suggestion otherwise that the players aren't actually pulling behind the manager. Um, I know the you know some people that aren't on board with him being Emerson manager in the first place will try and you know, sort of seek that as a narrative. But the stats say otherwise. I mean, I know the manager himself tries to point out that you know we constantly run more kilometres than anybody else in games at the moment, and you know that that is a, an actual fact. The players are actually you know sort of pulling their weight behind him. But as I said earlier, I just wonder whether it was the number of younger players in the squad last night that are actually listening to absolutely everything he does or he says and wants of them, and following it to the letter that was maybe a little bit more you know sort of positive. Uh, but no, I mean, there's been no suggestion that you know, so anybody is you know, so well, he's lost the dressing room to use that horrible phrase, uh, because you know, it's not the case, you know, and he's being very, very keen to try and foster a unity and a team spirit. Everything he said, you know, every press conference is mentality, got to get the mentality right. And you know, so I don't know, so you know, so don't think this is like you know, so inside information or anything like the Luca Dean, you know, sort of situation. But, you know, is he more of an individual? Is he not, you know, so part of that, you know, sort of team bonding unit? And, you know, so maybe that's why, you know, so Rafa's falling out with him. I don't know. Um, but, you know, the fact that he's linked with bringing a new left back in, you know, so in January, you know, suggests that maybe that could be the case. But the manager is very, very keen to try and build a unified squad, a unified team. and very, very keen to get them pulling all together. They did pull together last night. Broke the look a little bit at times, admittedly, but got the results. Arsenal was the same, you know, so when a goal down, you know, so, but, you know, so still showed incredible character and team spirit. And to be fair, the number of times we've gone behind in games this season, I know I'd rather that wasn't the case, but again, indicates that there is you know, a good team spirit and a good character at work. Um, you know, we've, you know, on one or two occasions we've seen, you know, sort of sudden collapse, you know, Watford being the notable one. But generally, you know, there has been, you know, sort of a good reaction and a good, you know, sort of attitude to going a goal behind. So, you know, no fingers crossed things do seem, you know, so to be okay in the dressing room. You know, long may that continue. Gav, you look like you were poised and ready to uh, to say something there. I'm always poised and ready to say something on the pod, Phil, to be honest with you. Uh, now, yeah, it's, it's go get the impression that Benitez would have been well up for that last night, wouldn't he? Going back to Chelsea under a bit of pressure. You'd think that, that, that a game where he can really think about how he's going to approach it 
you know, and set the team up and be really scientific. You get the impression that that's the type of challenge that he appreciates it. Uh, he appreciates. Uh, and, and with Preno, Ari, Ari Katsik used to say, "Go, let's keep the retro field going." Ari Katsik used to say it was it was better to have younger players because they're easier to doctrinate with your ideas than now the old pros. And maybe you saw a little bit of that last night with the way with the way the team played. And, you know, when we spoke about when Benitez came and we said, well, what will he bring to the to the team? And we said, well, you would expect him to be always be compact, you know, with the type of words he uses all the time, compact, well-organised. And for a number of reasons, that's not happened enough this season. But last night's display was what you expected <coughs> from the Rafa Benitez side at Everton, wasn't it, really? Certainly against one of the top teams. You know, after the after the flaky first ten minutes, difficult to break down, well organised, work hard. Um, could still be a threat on the break, which as it transpired, we were. And you know, if you can, if you can get that that part of that set up right within the team, then we can build on that for the rest of the season. You know, and that might mean ch- change. You think about it. Why would you want to change the back line we had yesterday? I know he's saying about Kenny. Why would you want to change the back line from yesterday in the next game? No, I mean... Yeah, you say it might not be John Joe Kenny's last game. No. You don't know. I mean, I'm not, I know that might bring a right back in, but certainly going for over the Christmas period, if there is games, and that's another question. Why would you want to change that? You know, so it's just be interesting to see what happens now. Um, and uh, But yeah, yeah, it was... I think um, a few changes last night made all the difference, and a difference the way the team reacted to Benitez. I think, to be fair, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. Actually, we mentioned Kenny again, and and, and players being receptive to that his ideas because Kenny um, did an interview with the Transfer Marks website last week, didn't he? And he spoke glowingly about Benitez, which you know, I think many people wouldn't. You know, look, players. You know, it's it, players often give, you know, they, they toe the line, don't they, in interviews and stuff. But it would it would be easy for a player to think, this won't go down amazingly well if I'm telling everybody how amazing Benitez is. But it, he seemed very truthful and, and just said how, how amazing he's been and, and how he's yeah. enjoyed every every session. And I think that maybe shows in the fact that he got an opportunity and he played so well. Well, yeah, I mean, Rafa, me contact's up at the end of the season, mate, you know. John Joe, yeah. I think John Joe accepts that he's yeah he's on his way out, but yeah, you know, but, but you know he doesn't have you know look he's never yeah, so. I'm being uh, I'm being overly cynical there. It wasn't that that's not meant to be serious, but are we? What happens if he comes in has a few good games and he's better coached by Benitez? Don't know. You don't know, do you? If you get either. You don't, at the moment, you don't know because you've got to think of the club's financial position here. Because if John Joe goes and then Cole Seamus is sort of reaching the tail end of Valley, has reached the tail end of his career based on recent performance, you're looking at two right backs, aren't you? Maybe. Just thinking. Well, if John mm-hmm. Joe, if you put him, he could, he could still make a play for being reserved right back. I guess so that's. Because transfer fee. You know? No, but and then that's a decision for John Joe, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, exactly. His career stalled enough, hasn't it? And he probably accepts that he will yeah. have to go to go to play. But uh, but speaking of fullbacks, yeah. Ad, um, 
you know, Pano, Pano alluded to it. Um, Vitaly Mikolenko, a player that probably most of us had never heard of before this week, and certainly I hadn't really paid any attention to until about Wednesday afternoon. Um, serious interest. Looks like we've got our sights firmly set on him. Uh, this afternoon, the club trying to play down reports that he's been in for a medical and it's all agreed and what have you. Um, conflicting information on that, on that, but definite interest. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Do you know much about him? What do you think? Is it, you know, are you surprised that we're going in for a left back? What's, what's what are your thoughts? Well, I think, I think that last that last part of the question is very interesting, isn't it? Because on the face of things, you know, three four weeks ago, if you'd have told me that Everton would be doing early business in the January transfer window, I'd be going, "Yeah, great, that's amazing." But that's what, that's exactly what we need. But for a left back, I'd be like, "What? Surely, 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 our priorities lie." Somewhere, you know, we, we were just discussing right back there, you know, centre mid. We we still desperately need a body as well. Like I I know we obviously do need cover at left back, but you know, to to make it a priority like this, you know, you've got you've got to you've got to wonder where the money's coming from, and you've got to wonder what that means for for Luca Dean's future because you can't really get away from that question, can you? Because of what's happened over the last couple of weeks, like we know, obviously the illness kept him out of uh, this Chelsea game, but he was. He was dropped from the squad for the Palace game and the Arsenal game because of a fallen out with Benitez. You just wonder how far that fallen out has potentially gone if we're suddenly being linked with a, you know, a, a, what is it, seven seventeen million pounds deal for a for a for a Ukrainian left back. You know, it, it doesn't sound as if he's going to be coming in and wanting to be second fiddle to to Luca Dean. It's going to sound like he's going to want to come in and instantly be a be a starter, which is. Which is just a really, really bizarre situation, isn't it? Because we we were just talking about Luca Dean on the previous pod, weren't we? And he, he still he still has the quality to be to be a really, really fantastic player. You know, one of the best in his position in the Premier League when he's when he's on top of his game. And perhaps the perhaps Rafa Benitez's system hasn't been hasn't been particularly fitting to his style over the course of the season. But we have just mentioned how much. Ben Godfrey was getting forward against uh, Chelsea. He got forward a few times against Crystal Palace as well. Now, we were discussing this yesterday, weren't we, Phil? Obviously, Godfrey's big asset in that sense is that he can get back with a, a lot of pace and perhaps, you know, Luka Dean's no slouch, but he, can't, but he can't get back as quickly as Ben Godfrey can in those situations. But on the flip side of things, surely Luka Dean would have a lot more quality in that final third than Ben Godfrey potentially... Uh, potentially would show. So it, 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 it's just a bizarre situation and it just does leave me questioning where, where Everton's transfer priorities are going to be lying in January because I was under the impression, well, up until about two weeks ago, essentially, I was under the impression that a right back and a centre mid essentially would be, would be the crucial aspects of Everton's January transfer window. If there was going to be a left back, I thought that it might be somebody who would maybe be alone Someone who would essentially blatantly be an understudy to Dean and maybe maybe push him for that place at, at at some occasions, but you know Dean would still be the number one. So to have this sort of situation now does does strike me as a bit 
a bit odd at the minute. And this is this is me. Like I've not really watched this Michalenko play. If I'm if I'm completely honest, so you know, perhaps when I do a bit more of a scouting report on him, it, it'll it'll make a bit more sense to me. But just left me a little bit confused at the minute. I have to admit. Mm. Okay, we've got about five minutes left of, of today's pod before we have wrap it up, but we'll stay on this final topic then before we close. In course, no game uh, this weekend as it's uh, as COVID has, uh, has kiboshed the uh, visit of Leicester, uh, so no predictions needed. But Preno, look, seems our understanding and the understanding of, of many others is that Everton is seriously in for this this Ukrainian left back. It's it, it surely it spells it spells the end for Dean because. You know, as Adam says, this, this guy's not coming in to just suddenly sit on the bench and and be and be back up. He, he wants to play. It appears that way, doesn't it? I mean, we did speak on this pod a week or so ago about our fears for Lucas Dean's, you know, long term future. And uh, given Everton's financial fair play position, I know there's going to be a little bit of wriggle room and a little bit of, you know, uh, I don't know how they do these things, but you know, they've got to try and lose some money or make make some money available before they can. Uh, pay a transfer fee, you know, which they're going to have to. And so that would indicate that maybe that money is going to come from, you know, sort of Lucas D's departure, unless somebody else is on their way that we don't know about. Um, I don't know much about him myself, other than that, you know, he does seem like uh, more of a defender, six foot one, you know, so he's going to offer, you know, some, you know, some certain physicality and aerial presence, which, um, you know, so maybe the manager wants. Uh, can't really comment on him as a footballer because I don't know anything about him. Um, but you know the manager clearly does, uh, but it does it does indicate that for me that yeah maybe that you know there is going to be you know a passing of the ways for Luca Dean, and um, he has been good for Everton Football Club in the time he's been here. But I'd always bow you know sort of to the manager and what he wants to do uh, in terms of trying to build a squad and build a team. And things have got to be done the way he wants to do it, and if he wants you know a in inverted commas, more of a, a defensive fullback than a guy that's been very, very good getting forward and, you know, sort of, you know, creating goals and things. So, yes, proof of the pudding at the end of the day is always in the results and we'll, we'll see where we are at the end of the season. Mm, and, I mean, indeed, um, Rafa, as I'm sure many of you will have read, um, I asked him on Wednesday in the press conference if he felt confident of getting some early business done, you know, traditionally, Everton have left it late uh, or, or been have, have had to have left it late. And he told me 200% certain he was, or 200% confident that early, early business would be done. I'm now kicking myself that I didn't sort of follow that up and go, why are you so confident? Not that he would have necessarily told me, but um, yeah, now that would explain his, his confidence. Gav, thoughts on the potential incoming of, uh, of Mr. Mikalenko? Slightly worried that Adam's going to be spending Christmas doing some scouting in Ukraine, to be fair, uh, from what he was saying then. Uh, he did on their Christmas yeah. break, Gav. Yeah, yeah, break. yeah. <laughs> yeah, get some get some intelligence from from the ground over there, and you know you'd be all right. Yeah, be, be cold, you know. Uh, well, the, the, the roots of this are in what we spoke about two or three weeks ago, wasn't it? That for Everton to to spend money, they've got to get rid of one of the saleable assets. And we mentioned Pickford, the usual suspects for Charleston, Carvalhoe. The one we didn't mention was Luca Dean, was it really? Which was a strange one because he, I know he's been linked with City, but at the, the the root of this is obviously this um, this you know arguments or you know different views with Benitez on where he should be playing in the team. I think Preno, you said the talent, and I, I remember picking up picking this up. The talent thing was Benitez's thing, saying that he told me he's ill. 
for the Chelsea game. The wording was absolutely, you know, precise. Yeah, not, you know, the club, you know, he's we checked him out, he's not very well, blah, 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 that we trained the day before. So that's a day. I don't know that that says it all, doesn't it? Really, in, in one line, um, to be honest with you, um, and maybe Benitez has seen this as an opportunity. I've been an unexpected one of getting some money in, and the way you know, I mean, Costine is it's four years, isn't he? I think this year. So anything we get for Dinia in the transfer market will be probably be pure profit, because um, most of his transfer fees already gone through. You know, got to be paid. It's gone through. To the book, so that puts us in a very healthy position um, from that side of the uh, fence, and it gives us a lot more record than what you think. So that met. And the, the problem is, I assume that people have been sounded out, and that we've got a buyer. You know, the worst case scenario is <laughs> we end up with two international left backs at the end of January, and one doesn't want to play for the club. Um, so, assuming he goes, it'd be interesting to see what the fee is because it's not exactly the, the best markers at the moment, is it? Um, but, there's, but there's also the crucial element of freeing up wages, of which Dean yeah. is significant, of course. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll still get it. You're anticipating a decent fee, aren't you? Still, you've still got 40 odd caps for France, 28. I mean, the, the other thing is, well, this lad's 23, 24. So, in terms of team building better. Um, so in, in that in a lot of respects it makes sense. This deal doesn't it? If it goes through. Mm. Uh, for everybody. Uh, Dean wants to go. Benitez wants one of his own players in who'll probably be able to indoctrinate for want of a better phrase. We get a bit of cash, gives us a little bit of money to spend, uh, get a heavy wage earner off the off the books who doesn't want to play. It seems like a pretty pretty good deal for everyone. Uh, to be honest with you, um, as long as this player turns out, um, you know, to be, I've no, just not said his name, by the way. I've just said the, the left back. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, getting mixed up with Mikhailichenko, remember, he used to play for the yeah. Rangers. Yeah. Um, yeah, that aside, assuming he comes in, does a job, then it's a, it's a good deal for everybody, isn't it? Mm. Well, hopefully, yeah, we shall see and hopefully everything does pan out and it works out for, for everybody involved. We will have to uh, leave the pod there. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Of course, no predictions, as we say, no game at the weekend. The next game is Boxing Day. Um, but if, and of course, the Royal Blue Podcast team will be back uh, to preview that game. Um, I'm disappearing for Christmas, so I'll see you all again later in December. But thank you very much for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas to all our viewers. If we don't uh, and uh, we we don't uh, speak to you before Christmas, hopefully everybody has a good time and stay safe. Chaps, thank you very much uh, for your company as always. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.